Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Let's talk about this issue of uh, COVID, the uh, variants, the resurgence, the concerns, the vaccines. What have we learned? What have, what have we failed to learn? And uh, really get a reaction also to what the Premier of Ontario has said. How should we approach the question, the issue of COVID variants? And are they the elephant in the room? Does the current situation, I'm talking about now March, end of March 2021, require uh, a new approach to this? Dr. Neil Rao joins us, infectious diseases specialist, assistant professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. We also appreciate him coming on the show. How are you, Dr. Rao? Very good. Good to have you with us. So, uh, calls for stronger measures to protect Canadians from re- the resurgent threat because of the COVID variants. You're aware of that. I'm aware of that. We're all aware of that. You have strong views on this, and particularly on the issue of mask wearing. Do you want to start with that? Yes, I think the mask wearing outdoors has to stop, variants or not. And the other cry we're hearing now is that people are saying, some people are saying, we shouldn't use surgical masks, but we should use these N95 masks in the community. So this is a descent into madness, into insanity. I really hope we don't go in that direction just because variants are a problem. I want to acknowledge that with the variants, we are seeing more cases. We are seeing a slight resurgence, a slight third wave, but it's not translating into more and more deaths because the people who are being admitted to hospital are younger. So that can be frightening to hear. But on the other hand, younger people do better when they have the disease. So they get through it. They have a ride that's bad in some cases, but they survive. So we don't see the death count going up, even though the case count is going up. In the prior waves, we saw a complete connection between the two. For every X number of people admitted to hospital, there would be Y people who ended up in ICU, and then Z, a smaller number of people end up ending up dying. But now there's a bit of a disconnect between the number of people in hospital and the number of people dying. I'm not saying there won't be more deaths amongst perhaps some younger people, but we're not seeing a devastating situation. There's always a good news piece to the story, but the bad news that there is a resurgence. But the resurgence isn't the rocket ship model that the government predicted at one point. It's gone up. The percent positive is between four and five in Ontario, but it's not gone to 15 or 20 percent as we saw at points during other waves. So I am going to look here at a story that uh, ran on Global News in British Columbia. COVID variants could see a new record of British Columbia ICU admissions by early April. That's just days away. So uh, would you take that one on? I don't buy the record thing, or maybe it's a record just for BC, but not Canada. I think it's British Columbia specific. Just BC. Well, even so, even if there was a record, the question is, do you have, if we do more things, if we impose more restrictions, bring out the heavy artillery, putting people on N95 masks, having people wearing masks outside, not just inside, which is a complete mistake. Are we going to actually change the trajectory? And some things in life can't be changed despite the best that we do. We're already doing a number of things. I'm not saying we should stop doing them, but adding more doesn't give much of a return on investment sometimes. So we're already still living under a lot of restrictions. There's quite a variation within Canada as to how restricted life is. BC has the lightest touch of all of Canada, but even so, many parts of of Ontario do not yet have restaurants open. And despite maintaining the restaurant closures, we still saw an uptick in cases 
and a third wave. So if we had open restaurants, would it have been worse or not? Well, then you've got regions around Toronto, like Vaughan region, which did open their restaurants, and things haven't become a catastrophe there either. So just because things are getting worse doesn't mean a new restriction makes things better. Sometimes you just have to ready the healthcare system. Where I work, we have a field, internal field hospital that receives patients from other regions, other areas. Sometimes people are coming 50 or 60 kilometers away from, from 50 or 60 kilometers away. It's not a catastrophe. It's not a great thing to have all the time. But as a way of adapting to the problem, you get set to receive this surge. But you don't shut everything down because shutting it down doesn't do much after a while. We've done a lot of shutting down. And we're already imposing restrictions on people, having them, having them wear masks indoors. And we're preventing a lot of good outdoor activities as we get into warmer weather. And I don't think we should allow that to happen either. What are you seeing? People can't exercise. What are you seeing at the hospital you work at as far as the, uh, the admissions into ICU is concerned? We're seeing younger people than we did before. There is no question about that. Okay. We are seeing, we are seeing younger people than we uh, did during the prior waves. However... These people aren't dying. We've gotten much better at treating them than we were, say, a year ago. We use steroids. We use some immune therapies. Uh, we know how to handle them at a critical care level without getting into too much detail, how to make sure that they can last longer, if you will, or get through the wave. So, I, I, And then we're preventing them from getting blood clots. We're doing a lot of things we didn't do before. And so people actually do better. It's not a tsunami, but we are seeing more. And I myself have seen some people in their 40s. I even saw the odd person in their 20s. One other pattern I've seen is that a lot of the younger people who come in are in front-facing jobs. In other words, it's a gas station owner. It's somebody who works maintaining elevators. These are people who have to face many people in their job, their front line, if you will, but not as healthcare, their front line in terms of front facing. That's what I'm seeing. Would you address the vaccine rollout? Now, I asked you the last time you were on the show, which I think was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was. I asked you about the wait period between uh, the first and the second, which at that time had been um, okayed by NASI, this organization that advises uh, it's four months, and you weren't ad- adverse to that or averse to that, and I certainly was and am. I don't like the fact that I have to wait four months for my second vaccination. I'm not sure that it's going to do the job for me, but, but you're the infectious disease especially. So would you speak to this slow vaccine rollout nationally and the vaccine communication that's going on? Because we're hearing, I heard uh, Aaron O'Toole say at the beginning of this hour that he uh, fundamentally and totally disagrees with uh, Mr. O- is Mr. Trudeau's messaging, and uh, yet the Prime Minister assures us that by the end of the summer, everybody who wants a vaccine is going to get it. What's, well, to you, what's the truth? What's the reality? So the biggest mistake is that we didn't have a domestic manufacturing capability, and that right. error cannot be undone now. It's too late. And so this is all damage control after that. I will say that's where the biggest error happened in Canada. However, the idea of getting first doses fast into people is wise. I think as we get more, more but that's vaccine, not even fast is it that's not being done fast it's picking up compared to a few weeks ago we've got a lot of people vaccinated I mean, they're hitting a sizable number per month in ontario Seventy thousand. they could do up to 120 all right thousand per sorry not per month per day we're getting a sizable number of people vaccinated each day it may not be our total capacity ideally we would have more so it's still suboptimal but it's still quite dramatic when you look at what's happening. My own hospital, we had a thousand people vaccinated in one day. That's that's quite amazing. That's a big operation for a hospital to take on, on top of taking care of sick patients in a hospital, just doing a community service like that. So I think good things are happening. It's probably 
too little too late because we don't have domestic supply and we are relying on others mm-hmm. we've got some u.s supply now we've got the indian supply as part of the uh as the the, the uh, one of the options so with and then the other problem we had was a communication we had the astrazeneca vaccine come in and then there was some scary news about it that had to be sort of stewed over, pondered right. over, right. and it gave people the impression there was a first class and an air transit class. So you know, would you say then that generally we're in pretty good shape at this point? We have 4.8 million people nationally as of Friday who are vaccinated. And we look at the national picture, not just Ontario, even though you and I are located in Ontario. We have yeah. 4.8 million people vaccinated nationally. You have Joe Biden saying in the United States he wants 200 million jabs by the time he's been in office for 100 days. Yeah, we're, we're, we're worse off than the U.S. But, you know, sometimes getting more and more and more doesn't give you as much gain as that first tranche of getting the most vulnerable people vaccinated. Uh-huh. Just going to long-term care itself was a massive achievement that gave huge dividends because 80% of the deaths were in long-term care. Yeah. Now we have to get after the people who are under 70 who have underlying disease, and that's going to be tricky. When you use age tranches, deciding who gets it just based on age, it's objective. There's no gaming. Is there a growing number of physicians who are more inclined to believe and follow the positions you're taking? With regards to the restrictions, I think there is a growing number of people who are concerned, actually a growing number of family physicians who are concerned, but perhaps most importantly, great concern about children's health. That seems to be the theme that everyone agrees on even if they don't totally buy into everything that I'm saying, when it comes to letting kids lead more normal lives, having outdoor camps, having outdoor sports, not using the rising number of cases to stop the good things that can happen outdoors as we go into spring, that seems to be an overall theme. With regards to the vaccine side of things, there's quite a variation in how critical people are. We don't have the enviable situation of the U.S., let alone Israel, and we're playing catch-up. There's no question about it. But we also have a confusing set of messages out there. You know, a better vaccine, a good vaccine, a bad one, and then different rec- recommendations or availability in different places. In Toronto, they were almost trying to give it away because some people weren't getting it. Other regions, people can't get it even if they want it. So that's created a lot of confusion as well. So you mentioned uh, before the break that a uh, younger demographic should be given the opportunity to be vaccinated, particularly if they have pre-existing conditions. And I found when I registered for my vaccination, and I've talked to other people as well, nobody asks you. Whether you have pre-existing well, conditions, whether you have, problem, whether you have, yeah, well, there, there would be a problem if they asked you because a lot of people would say, yes, 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 I have a condition. And they would say, I have cancer, but the cancer was treated 20 years ago. It's not an active problem. They would say, I have kidney problems, but it's not the same as being on dialysis. So I think you have to have very bulletproof definitions that are perhaps vetted by their doctor or by a family doctor to get into this tier of a younger person with an underlying disease. We have to be really clear on which underlying disease would put you in a higher category to get the vaccine if we're going to go to that lower age group. Because what's starting to happen is we're trying to get some people between 70 and 80 vaccinated who don't even want the vaccine. So what do you do with the ones that are left? Do you get it to the person who's just available to get it? Or do you try and pick and choose people who have underlying conditions who would get more benefit from this and not end up in the Yeah, so what do you you recommend? Because when you look at the online information, it uh, invariably says or includes uh, advice that those who have pre-existing conditions or those who have issues that could be uh, really significantly difficult if you were to contract COVID, they're the ones who should be um, should be treated quickly, but nobody, yes. again, nobody asks. I think the problem with, is that if you had people voluntarily saying that they fit into a category, you would have a chaotic situation. And this is why you have an age-based system. 
which you just can't deny your, your age is your age. I think, though, now we have to start thinking about strategies. I think it should come through the doctors, the family doctors, and the specialist doctors like myself, where we would look through our patient rosters and see who really fits that category and have they been vaccinated or not. But it's a little hard to do this without a good electronic medical record system and an electronic communication system. This could end up being a bit of a nightmare to administer. Or the other option is that uh, hospital clinics start administering a lot more vaccine to people who have certain underlying diseases that's another outreach approach so if someone's on dialysis for example they're already going to dialysis anyway you make sure they get the vaccine in dialysis what are you expecting by the end of the summer by the time we transition back into colder weather how much better off will we be nationally with the vaccine program that we're expecting and you're hopeful is going to be seeing the most uh, most canadians inoculated by september I think we'll finally have everybody vaccinated, but the disease is going to drop anyway because of seasonality. It won't be because of the vaccine. What's the, the vaccine, what it's doing is it's preventing bad outcomes when people get sick. It's not stopping the disease. We don't have enough vaccine out there to have achieved that the way Israel did and perhaps the U.S. has achieved. But I think we'll probably be caught up to the U.S. in terms of percentage of the population that's seen the vaccine. But unfortunately... In the fall, we're probably going to see a bit of a resurgence of the disease, and hopefully we won't won't make all the same mistakes again. And maybe we'll see uh, a wisdom in not using restrictions in response to rising case counts if people have been vaccinated. Because the whole reason to have these restrictions is to try and somehow control the spread of the virus in the community and prevent it from infecting people who then overload the healthcare system. If people have been vaccinated, they won't end up in the healthcare system, even if they get the disease. So we have to start having a pathway towards some liberties and freedoms and advantages the more and more people get vaccinated. But we don't have to aim for 100% of the population to get the vaccine. If we get the highest risk people vaccinated, we've solved most of the problems with this virus. I have less than a minute, and I've saved this until last. You have strong views on mask wearing outdoors. We already covered that. But outdoor contact tracing as well, and you have strong views on physical distancing at two meters. Speak to that, please. So when it comes to outdoors, there are many European nations that have moved to one meter, not two meters. It's really impractical to keep two meters on an urban sidewalk. There's a famous video out there of someone with a bubble that was two meters wide. It's impossible to do it. The other thing is outdoor spread is so low risk. There is no point contact tracing people who show up at a patio outdoors when they've been outside in free-flowing air, and then some restaurant worker comes down with the disease. Why are we chasing them down? Let's make our lives more normal and stop doing that. So outdoor contact tracing, insane. Before you know it, for outdoor sporting events, if they go to an outdoor football game, we're going to be taking down names. I think it's time to stop that. The last thing is the symptom screening. You know, going into a shopping mall and symptom screening or going into a restaurant and symptom screening, people won't tell you the truth anyway. You don't pick out people with the disease because of symptoms or not anyways. We have to move away from that as well. Right now, people should follow public health advice in their local area, but I'm talking about where I think the discourse, where the debate needs to go now. We have to start thinking differently because many people are vaccinated. And those are the low-hanging fruit pieces from, from my perspective. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.